0: Section 27 of A Woman's Journey Round the World This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Woman's Journey Round the World by Ida Laura Pfeiffer Chapter 15 Journey from Delhi to Bombay Continued Part 2 on the 23rd of February, I left Indore, on my way to the little village of Cimarola. The road led through delightful groves of palm trees and richly cultivated land. In Cimarola, I found a pretty and comfortable furnished tent, which Mr. Hamilton had sent on, in order to surprise me with a good night station. I thanked him most heartily for his care. 24th February From Cimarola, the country was truly picturesque. A narrow ledge of rock, in some places scarcely broad enough for the road, led down a considerable declivity into small valleys, on the sides of which beautiful mountains towered up. The latter was thinly wooded. Among the trees I was particularly struck by two species, the one with yellow, the other with red flowers, both of them, very singularly, were quite destitute of leaves. On this side of Kota, the camel trains were less frequent. In consequence of very stony state of the road, instead of these, we met trains of oxen. We passed some today of incredible extent. I do not exaggerate when I affirm that I have seen trains of several thousand head of cattle, on whose backs corn, wool, salt, etc., were conveyed. I cannot imagine where the food for so many animals is obtained. There are nowhere any meadows, or, with the exception of the plantations, the ground is scorched up or at most covered with a thin parched jungle grass which i never saw any animal eat the industry of the women and children in the villages through which these trains pass is great beyond measure they provide themselves with baskets and follow the train for a considerable distance collecting the excrement of the oxen which they work up into flat bricks and dry them in the sun to use as fuel late in the evening we entered a village of which lies on the river narbuda in the midst of a storm of thunder and lightning i was told that there was a public bungalow here but as the darkness of night prevented our finding it i contented myself with the balcony of her house twenty fifth february we had this morning to cross the river narbuda which with the preparations for doing so occupied two hours twenty sixth february Between this place and Cimarola the land is rather barren, and also very thinly inhabited. We often travel several miles without seeing a village. 27th February Today we were gratified with the prospect of a fertile country and beautiful mountains. On an isolated mountain was situated the old famous fortress of Asargur, from which rose two half-decayed minarets. Towards evening, we passed between many ruins amongst which i observed another handsome mosque the forecourt the minarets and side walls of which were standing adjoining the district of ruins lay the very flourishing town of berhampur which still numbers sixty thousand inhabitants but i was told that it is formerly much larger an armhole resides in the town and also an english officer who keeps an eye on his proceedings we were obliged to pass through the whole town through the deep river of tapti up and down the hill and over shocking roads to reach the bungalow of the latter so that we did not arrive there till late at night captain hennessy and his family were already supping they received me with true cordiality and although worn with fatigue and much travel strained i took my place at their hospitable table and continued a conversation with this amiable family until a late hour of the night 20th February. Unfortunately, I was obliged to proceed on my journey again this morning. Between Berhampur and Ichapur, there were the most beautiful and varied plantations—corn, flax, cotton, sugar cane, poppies, dal, etc. The heat had already begun to be oppressive towards 108 Fahrenheit. I was at the same time continually on the road from four o'clock in the morning till five or six in the evening, and only seldom made a short halt. On the banks of some river or under a tree, it was altogether impossible to travel at night, as the heats and jungles were frequently of great extent, and moreover somewhat infested with tigers. The presence of which we experienced on the following day. Besides all this, my people were unacquainted with road. Twenty ninth February, today's stage was one of the most considerable. We therefore started as early as three o'clock in the morning the road passed through terrible wastes and wild jungles after we had proceeded for some time quietly the animals stopped short and remained as if fixed to the ground and began to tremble their fear soon communicated itself to my people who shouted with intermission the words bark bark which means tiger tiger i ordered them to continue making as much noise as possible in order to scare away the animals if they were really near i had some jungle grass gathered and made a fire which i kept constantly blazing however i heard no howling and observed no other indication of our dreaded neighbour than the terror of my people and cattle i awaited the sunrise this time with great anxiety when we continued our journey we afterwards learned that scarcely a night passes in this neighbourhood without an ox horse or a goat being carried off by tigers only a few days previously, a poor woman who was late in returning from gathering jungle grass had been torn to pieces. All the villages were surrounded with high stone and mud walls, whether from fear of the wild beasts or from any other cause. I could not learn with certainty. These fortified villages extended as far as Aurangabad over the distance of 150 miles. March 1st Bodur is an unimportant village. On the road from Indore to Aurangabad, there are no bungalows with rooms, and it was very seldom that even an open one is to be found, that is, a building with three wooden walls over which a roof is thrown. We found one of these bungalows in Bodur. It was indeed already taken possession by about a dozen Indian soldiers, but they withdrew unasked and gave up to me one half of the airy chamber. During the whole night, they remained still and quiet, and were not the slightest annoyance. 2nd March Furdapur, a small village at the foot of beautiful mountains. As the poor oxen began to be wearied with travelling, the driver rubbed them down every evening from head to foot. 3rd March Ajantha Before coming to this place, we passed a terrible rocky pass, which might be easily defended the road was very narrow and so bad that the poor animals could scarcely make any way with empty cars on the heights of the pass a strongly fortified gate was placed which closed the narrow road it was however left open in time of peace the low ground and the heights on the sides were rendered inaccessible by strong and lofty walls the view became more delightful at every step romantic valleys and ravines picturesque masses and walls of rock lay on both sides immeasurable valleys spread themselves out behind the mountains while in the front the view swept over an extensive open plain at the commencement of which lay the fortress of ajanta we had already reached it at about eight o'clock in the morning captain gill resides in ajanta and i had letters of introduction to him from mr hamilton when i expressed a wish after the first greeting was over the visit to the famous rock temples of ajanta he deeply regretted that he had not received a letter from me four-and-twenty hours sooner as the temples were nearer to furadpur than to ajanta what was to be done i was resolved upon seeing them and had but little time to lose so i decided upon retracing my way i only provided myself with small stock of provision and immediately mounted one of the horses from the captain's stable, which brought me past the rocky pass in good hour the road towards the temple here turns off to the right into desolate, barren mountain valleys, whose death-like stillness was unbroken by the breathing of an animal or the song of a bird. This space was well calculated to raise and excite expectations. The temples, twenty-seven in number, were excavated in tall perpendicular cliffs, which form a semicircle. In some of the cliffs there are two storeys of temples, one over the other. Paths lead to the top. But these are so narrow and broken, that one frequently is at loss where to set the foot. Beneath are terrible chasms, in which a mountain stream loses itself. Overhead, the smoothy rock surfaces, extend several hundred feet in height. The majority of the temples are quadrangular in form, and the approach to the interior is through verandas and handsome gateways, which, from being supported on columns, appear to bear the weight of the whole mass of rock. These temples are called Vihara, in the larger one I counted twenty-eight in the smallest eight pillars. On one and sometimes on both sides of walls there is a very small dark cell in which most probably the priests lived. In the background in a large lofty cell is the sanctuary. Here are gigantic figures in every position. Some measure more than eighteen feet and nearly reach to the roof of the temple which is about twenty-four feet high the walls of the temples and verandas are full of idols and statues of good and evil spirits in one of the temples a battle of giants is represented the figures are above life-size and the whole of the figures columns verandas and gateways are cut out of the solid rock the enormous number and remarkable beauty of the sculptures and reliefs of the columns capitals friezes, gateways and even of the roof of the temples is indeed most astonishing the variety in the designs and the devices is inexhaustible it appears incredible that human hands should have been able to execute such mastery and gigantic works the brahmins do indeed ascribe their origin to supernatural agencies and affirm that the era of their creation cannot be ascertained remains of paintings are found on the walls ceilings and pillars the colors of which are brighter and fresher than those of any modern works of art the second class of temples have an oval form and have majestic lofty portals leading immediately to the interior they are called chaitya. the largest of these temples has on each side a colonnade of nineteen pillars the smallest one of eight in these there are no verandas no priest cells and no sanctuaries instead of the latter A high monument stands at the extremity of the temple. Upon one of these monuments, an upright figure of the deity Buddha is sculptured in a standing position. On the walls of the larger temple, gigantic works are hewn out of solid rock, and under these, a sleeping Buddha twenty-one feet in length. After I had wandered about here for some hours and had seen enough of each of the temples, I led back to one of them and saw there a small table well covered with eatables and drinkables inviting me to a welcome meal captain gill had been so kind as to send after me a choice of tiffin altogether with table and chairs into this wilderness thus refreshed and invigorated i did not find the return fatiguing the house in which captain gill lives at ajinta is remarkably situated a pleasant little garden with flowers and shrubs surrounds the front which commands a view of a fine plain While the back stands on the edge of a most fearful precipice, over which dizzy glance loses itself among steep crags and terrible gorges and chasms. As Captain Gill had learned that I wished to visit the famous fortress of Daulatabad, he told me that no one was admitted without the permission of the commander-general of Aurangabad, but to spare my going out of my way, as the fortress lies on the side of Aurangabad, he offered to send me a courier there immediately, and order him to bring the card of admission to me at elora the courier had to travel altogether a distance of one hundred and forty miles seventy there and as many back i looked up on all these attentions as more obliging as they were shown to me a german woman without distinction or attractions by english people fourth march at four o'clock in the morning the good captain joined me at the breakfast table half an hour later I was seated in my wagon and travelling towards the village of Bangaloda, which I reached the same day. 5th March Roja is one of the most ancient towns of India. It has a gloomy aspect. The houses are one-storey high, and built of large square stones, blackened by age. The doors and windows are few in number and irregularly situated. Outside the town lay a handsome bungalow with two rooms, but as I was informed that it was occupied by Europeans, I decided upon not going there and took up my quarters for the night under the eaves of a house. The country between this and Ajanta is a flat plain. The parched heaths and poor jungles are interspersed with beautiful plantations. The land near Palmary was especially well cultivated. Sixth March. Early in the morning, I mounted a horse for the purpose of visiting the equally renowned rock temples of Elora, ten miles from Roja. But, as it frequently happens in life that the proverb, Man proposes and God disposes, proves true. Such was the case in the present instance. Instead of the temples, I saw a tiger hunt. I had scarcely left the gates of the town behind when I perceived a number of Europeans seated upon elephants coming from the bungalow on meeting each other we pulled up and commenced a conversation the gentlemen were on the road to search for a tiger lair, of which they had received intimation and invited me if such a sport would not frighten me too much to take part in it i was greatly delighted to receive the invitation and was soon seated on one of the elephants in a howdah about two feet high in which there were already two gentlemen and a native the latter had been brought to load the guns they gave me a large knife to defend myself with in case the animal should spring too high to reach the side of the howdah thus prepared we approached the chain of hills and after a few hours were already pretty near the lair of the tigers when our servants cried out quite softly bark bark and pointed with their fingers to some brushwood i had scarcely perceived the flaming eyes which glared out of one of the bushes before the shots were fired several balls took effect on the animal who rushed maddened upon us he made such tremendous springs that i thought every moment he must reach the outer and select a victim from among us the sight was terrible to see and my apprehensions were increased by the appearance of another tiger however i kept myself so calm that none of the gentlemen had any suspicion of what was going on in my mind shot followed after shot the elephants defended their trunks with great dexterity by throwing them up and drawing them in after a short contest of half an hour we were the victors and the dead animals were triumphantly stripped of their beautiful skins the gentleman politely offered me one of them as a present but i declined accepting it as i could not postpone my journey sufficiently long for it to be dried they complimented me on my courage and added that such a sport would be extremely dangerous if the elephants were not particularly well trained above all they must not be afraid of the tigers nor even stir from the spot for if they ran away the hunters would be upset by the branches of the trees and be left hanging upon them then they would certainly become the victims of the bloodthirsty animals it was too late to visit the temples today and i therefore waited till the next morning the temples of hyalurah lie on that kind of a table-land which is peculiar to india The principal temple kailas is the most wonderful of all those which are hewn out of the rock it surpasses in magnitude and finish the best specimens of indian architecture it is indeed affirmed to have claims to precedence over the marvelous buildings of the ancient egyptians the kailas is of conical form hundred and twenty feet in height and six hundred in circumference for the construction of this masterwork a colossal block was separated from the solid rock by a passage 250 feet long and 100 broad the interior of the temple consists of a principal hall 66 feet long by 100 broad and several adjoining halls which are all furnished with sculptures and gigantic idols but the real magnificence consists in the rich and beautiful sculptures on the exterior in the tastefully executed arabesques and in fine pinnacles or niches which are cut out on the tower the temple rests on the backs of numerous elephants and tigers which lie next to each other in peaceful attitudes before the principal entrance to which several flights of steps lead stand two figures of elephants above life-size the whole is as has been said before hewn from a single mass of rock the cliff from which this immense block was separated surrounds the temple on three sides at a distance hundred feet forming colossal perpendicular walls in which, as at Ajanta, enormous colonnades, larger and smaller temples from 2 to 3 storeys high were excavated. The principal temple is called Rameswar and somewhat exceeds in size of the largest vikara at Ajanta. Its breadth is 98 feet, it extends into rock 102 feet and the height of the ceiling is 24 feet. It is supported by 22 pilasters and covered with most beautiful sculptures, reliefs, and colossal gods, among which the principal group represents the marriage of the god Ram and goddess Sita. A second vikara, nearly as handsome as this last, is called Lavoka. the principal figure in this is Shiva. Not far distant, a number of similar temples are excavated in another rock. They are much more simple and unattractive portals and plain columns therefore not to be compared with those at ajanta this task would have been impossible if the rock had been granite or a similar primitive foundation unfortunately i could not ascertain what the rock was i only examined the pieces which were here and there chipped off and which were easily broken it is not with less astonishment that one contemplates these surprising works which will always be considered as inimitable monuments of human ingenuity The temple of Kailas is, unfortunately, somewhat decayed from age and destructive action of the weather. It is a sad pity that the only monument of this kind in the world will, by the by, fall into ruins. Towards 11 o'clock in the morning, I returned to Roja, and immediately continued my journey to the famous town Daulatabad, having safely received the admission in Roja. The distance was only 8 miles, but the roads were execrably bad and there was a mountain passed across similar to that near ajanta the fortress one of the oldest and strongest in india is considered as the most remarkable of its kind not only in Deccan but in all india it presents a most imposing aspect and is situated upon a peak of rock six hundred feet high which stands isolated in a beautiful plain and appears to have been separated from the adjoining mountains by some violent natural convulsion The circumference of this rock amounts to about a mile. It is cut round perpendicularly to a height of 130 feet and 30 feet below the top of the moat by which it is surrounded, which cutting is equally perpendicular so that the whole height of the excrement is 160 feet and the rock consequently inaccessible. There is no pathway leading to the fortress, and I was, therefore, extremely curious to know by what means the summit was reached the side of the rock itself was a very low iron door which is only visible in the time of peace as the ditch can be filled a foot above its level when required torches were lighted and i was carefully conducted through narrow low passages which led with numerous windings upwards through the body of the rock these passages were closed in many places by massive iron gates some considerable distance above the precipitous part of the rock we again emerged into the open air narrow paths and steps protected by strongly fortified works led from this place to the highest point the latter was somewhat flattened hundred and forty feet in diameter completely undermined and so contrived that it would be heated red-hot a cannon twenty-three feet long was planted here at the foot of this fortress were scattered numerous ruins which i was told were the remains of a very important town nothing is left of it now except the fortified walls, three or four feet deep, which must be passed to reach the peak of the rock itself. In the same plain but near the range of mountains, standing on a separate elevation, is a considerable large fortress than Daulatabad, but of far inferior strength. The numerous fortresses as well as the fortified towns were, as I here learned, the remnants of past times, when Hindustan was divided into a great number of states, continually at war with each other. The inhabitants of the town and villages never went out unarmed. They had spies continually on the watch, and to secure themselves from sudden attacks, drove their herds inside the walls every night, and lived in a continual state of siege. In consequence of the unceasing warfare which prevailed, bands of mounted robbers were formed, frequently consisting of as many as ten or twelve thousand men who too often starved out and overcame the inhabitants of the smaller towns and completely destroyed their younger crops these people were then compelled to enter into a contract with these wild hordes and to buy themselves off by a yearly tribute since the english have conquered india peace and order have been everywhere established the walls decay and are not repaired the people indeed frequently wear arms but more from a habit than necessity the distance from dorotabad to Aurangabad was eight miles I was already much fatigued, for I had visited the temples, ridden eight miles over the mountainous pass, and mounted to the top of the fortress during the great heat, but I looked forward to the night, which I preferred passing in a house and a comfortable bed rather than under an open verandah, and seating myself in my wagon, desired the driver to quicken the pace of his weary oxen as much as possible. End of section twenty seven read by Lambda